This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, y'all, it's Crystal. And it's Samantha. And this is Serialholic Sisters. True crime shit. Hey, girl, hey. 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 I'm back in the closet. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I'm either haunted and have a bad omen against me, or I'm just really bad luck today, or I'm just, I mean, particularly bad at driving today. I mean, you're all, you're usually bad at driving, but like particularly bad at it today. <laughs> okay. What for, for why? I literally hit three birds today. Three birds? <laughs> so... On the way to work this morning, you know, those like vulture things that like, like buzzards. Yeah. Whatever, whatever they all are. Those big giant ugly birds that like eat all the like roadkill and stuff. Yes. Okay. So I'm driving and they usually always like fly away, you know, a buzzard. Wouldn't that like bust your windshield? It didn't touch my windshield. It literally stayed on the road (gasps) and I ran it over. Oh my God. What the fuck? Because it was in the middle of like the driving, like there was no dodging it. So like you just didn't slow down at all. You were just like, he's going to move. And yes, I thought he was going to move. I thought oh he was going to fly away. Literally ran him over. And I, I was in shock. I look in my rearview mirror and he wasn't like twitching or anything like oh that. Like God. I oh, literally okay. got him. Oh my God. That's awful. And then, um, like I commute, it's, you know, <laughs> trigger like a, warning for animal death. Yeah, it was awful, but I drive like, it's like 35 minutes to get to work or whatever. And so I have to make this turn to go on, on the road. That's like what my job is on or whatever. What my job is at. (laughs) Yeah. Where's that? So I'm like driving and right before I get to this, this turn, this like small bird comes out of nowhere, hits my windshield. Oh, baby bird. And I look in my rearview mirror and all I see is it like falling down to the Oh my ground. God. I was like, oh my what? God. Maybe you just kind of like stunned it. Maybe it was just concussed and then I just oh, kind of no. shook it off. Oh, no, no. Okay. <laughs> it That's was so <laughs> sad. That's so sad. But three? Oh, so I'm on my way home from work. Literally leave work. I'm on the road, like driving to go home and a quail goes across. <laughs> Oh my god! The fucking road, and I run it over. What the hell? That you got some mad juju going on over there. So I'm like, either all of the birds are kamikaze, like suicidal, crazy birds today, or or you're invisible and they didn't see you, or I'm being haunted. (laughs) This is a bad omen. So that that does you should be very careful the next little while that does not sound like a I, good I'm sign. telling you it, it, I I am speechless I just don't understand it that's not okay you are haunted by the ghost of my car 
the ghost, the ghost of my every, car that gets annoyed by only you. <laughs> I know every time I call, every time I call her, it like cuts me off <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't just cut you off. So we'll be talking and it doesn't matter if it's in the morning, on the way to work, after work, any, on the weekend, it's only you. It doesn't matter what time of the day. It doesn't matter if I'm talking to anybody else, you'll be, you'll be talking. And then all of a sudden it'll just be dead silent on my end. And then the radio will start just blaring. And then it'll get silent again after a few seconds of that. And then it goes back to you talking and you're like way farther in your story. And I have no idea what's going on. So I'm yep. convinced that my ghost, my ghost, my car is haunted by a ghost that gets real bored with your stories. <laughs> and it's like, let's listen to some jams or something. Cause I'm done with no. this. <laughs> it doesn't happen with anybody else on the phone. It's just you. Yeah. I'll just stop calling you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not me. Ruby's a, Ruby's a bitch. Okay. Fine. <laughs> Anyway, uh, anyway, it is my turn. This is kind of a long one, so let's just get into it after all that. So this week I decided to do um, not really a continuation of your case last week, but kind of somewhat. Are you doing it over the, um, uh-huh. okay. <laughs> so I'm doing, um, covering Tommy Lynn Sells. Okay. I was, man, that really sucks. Cause I was planning to do him. Sorry about week. it. <laughs> so yes. You know, I should have actually said something to you because you didn't call I was it planning to literally do a continuation of it. And I had already, you suck. I, I got you girl. <laughs> I gotta go and redo notes. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, Tommy Lynn sells the terrible train hopper that confessed to brutally murdering the Dardine family that you talked about last week. Mm-hmm. but most likely didn't or did no. he like so I don't know after reading more into him I'm not completely convinced that he didn't but also I'm not convinced that he did it's just like a vicious cycle I go back and forth so I just um, feel like he was more for the fame like he wanted to be known as a serial killer to me I don't know once I tell you some of this I don't know we'll get into we'll get into that a little okay. bit more at the end so Let's just get into it. I wasn't done with all my notes, so I wouldn't know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Sorry sorry about it. So Tommy Lynn Sells was born with a twin sister, Tammy Jean, Mm -hmm. on June 28th, 1964 in Oakland, California. They had two older brothers, Terry Joe and Timothy Lee. And after their birth, three more brothers were born. So another set of twins, Jerry Kevin and Jimmy Keith, and then Randy Jean. A lot of double named kids this mother has <laughs> she liked she liked it she liked, she liked the, it. the double middle names and stuff too so they were born to nina cells and supposedly william cells um tommy tommy lynn cells swore that joe lovins was actually the biological father of all of these children except for him <laughs> no him too oh him too yeah but william cells was legally their father on paper because supposedly Levens had bailed sales out of like a financial hole at one time. Oh, sorry. I was thinking, I, I thought you were switching them up or whatever for something. I don't know why I didn't catch the name. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. So, okay. So Levens bailed William sales out, their actual biological, mm-hmm. supposed biological father, bailed them out on um, a, like a financial hole that he dug himself into. And in return, sales agreed to claim the children as his own in like an insurance scam because he had a steady job with health benefits and Levins was a used car salesman. So he worked on commission and wasn't offered health benefits. So 
the family moved from Oakland to Missouri when they when Tommy and Tammy Jean were still babies. When Tommy and Tammy were 18 months old, Tammy suddenly developed like a super high fever. So Nina took her to the hospital and the doctor said that she had pneumonia, but it turned out that she actually had meningitis and she ended up dying. So Tommy ended up also getting meningitis, like not long after, like started getting super high fever, same symptom as her. But after staying in the hospital for five days, he recovered and survived. So soon after his recovery, Nina decided to rent a home that her aunt Bonnie owned. And Bonnie offered to help watch little Tommy until the family got all settled into their new home. Well, Tommy ended up living with her for the next two and a half years. Yeah, he was just kind of like forgotten about. <laughs> he really was. So he later claimed that this was the only bright spot in his childhood. So from the ages of two to five, he got like all the attention a toddler could ask for, basically, from Bonnie and her two daughters, 12-year-old Sandy and eight-year-old Katie not Katie, Kathy, Kathy. Yes. There's an H in there. I just, (laughs) so he would like, they would all play together. He would walk to their school to meet them when they were coming home from school. Like they taught him how to ride a tricycle. They just loved him. Like he was part of their family, their immediate family. I guess he was part of their family. (laughs) Part of the family, but he was their little brother and not little cousin. So Bonnie decided after two and a half years that she wanted to adopt him and make this like a permanent thing. She's like, he's already living with me. It's not going to be an issue. Nina literally never comes to visit. She never calls to see how he's doing. Like this should be fine. So when Bonnie mentioned adopting him to Nina, Nina got furious and like took him from Bonnie. Which I think is the dumbest thing because she clearly didn't want him. Right. You did not care about him for two and a half years. You didn't even call to see how he was doing. Um, so Bonnie would often try to come over and like visit him or call to check up on him but Nina was like not having any of it she was like nope you can't have him this is he's my son so not long after being taking taking not long after being taken from Bonnie's loving home cells would take a turn for the worse so at age seven cells began abusing alcohol so how does a seven-year-old have access to alcohol? <laughs> well, Did you want me to ask that? <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for it, but you didn't. So I just, I just. I mean, I was just there. sitting here thinking what seven-year-old would like the taste of alcohol. Right. And not just alcohol. Oh my God. Alcohol. Not just alcohol. So his grandfather kept a bottle of whiskey under the seat of his truck. I know. I'm just sitting here thinking what seven-year-old would like the taste of it. Right. Um, but like whiskey, he started drinking just straight whiskey. I just don't know. I just don't know children that would like that. (laughs) No, like, no, I do not. So he would just like go out to his grandfather's truck, sneak a little whiskey, you know, burn so good. And that that was a problem. Burn so good. (laughs) (laughs) He started skipping school first as like a challenge to see if he could get away with it. But then when he realized that nobody's ever paying attention to him anyways, he was like, this is not a challenge. Nobody cares. And it just became a normal thing that he did. When he was eight, he started hanging out with a grown-ass man named Willis Clark that lived down the road. God damn it, Willis. <laughs> Willis. So, Sells loved hanging out with Willis. He taught him how to shoot pool. He would, like, take him on trips to Kennett, which is a nearby town where they lived. Right. He would spend money on Sells or just, like, straight up give him money. So, Sells was loving this, Okay. 
he started spending more and more time with Willis and eventually was staying with him for like days at a time. Eight-year-old boy. When Nina would be like, oh shit, where's my son that I forgot I had? And tell him (laughs) that it was time to come home. He would throw a fit and like beg nonstop until she would eventually just be like, fine, whatever. You can go back over there. Right. Mother, mother of the year. Mother of the year. I don't know who this is, but go by. Right. Go hang yeah. out with this grown ass man. With this grown ass man. <laughs> so eventually he was basically like staying full time with him. Now, according to Sells, Nina, and a psychiatrist who later worked with Sells, Willis Clark was a known pedophile and was regularly molesting Sells. So his mother knew he was a pedophile and just let her eight-year-old son basically live at his house again mother of the year she's the worst mother really really bad it's that that's that's not ideal so by the age of 10 he was not only abusing alcohol he was also getting pretty heavy into the marijuana when he was 13 he stayed the night at his grandmother's house one night and she was like asleep in bed late at night. She woke up because she felt like she felt movement. She's like, oh, my bed's like shifting. She wakes up and finds cells naked trying to get into bed with her. What? Yeah. At 13, this is his grandmother. So she was basically like, what the fuck? And was not, was like banned from her house. Wasn't to be back over there. I mean. Right. I totally understand. it. <laughs> yes. His family was furious. So not long after this incident, Sells was walking home from Willis's house, you know, just to check in, see what the fam's up to. Hadn't seen them in a few days. <laughs> and when he arrived, the door was locked. So he's like, oh, okay. So he knocked on the door. There was no answer. And when he peeked through a window to see if he could see anybody inside, he saw the house was completely empty. Like there was nothing in there. The family had up and moved and not told Literally him. moved without their child. They literally moved away without him. So he would later find out, supposedly, this is according to Sells, that his mother had met a man from Michigan and they got married and she and his siblings moved to Michigan to be with this guy. And she right. just forgot. She just had one mother child. Right. She forgot about that one. So at the age of 14, Sells was basically on his own, living the life of a drifter. A few days after discovering his family had moved without telling him, Sells assaulted a woman in a fit of anger by pistol whipping her until she was unconscious. So this is at 14. So great start to life. Mm-hmm. So now we are going to get into Sells' murders. Not all of them because it's unknown how many murders he committed. Mm-hmm. So like Sells himself. How many did he murder and how many did they say that he murdered? Exactly. Sells, <laughs> he, he himself even said in an interview that he was not sure how many people he killed. He claims to have killed upwards to 70 people. Yeah, I just don't, like I said, my view on him is he wanted the, he wanted the name because he liked the attention. I feel like that's, he did like the attention. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like, that's, he likes attention. <laughs> right. So he confessed to a ton, like I said, some were proven to be true, some weren't, and some, there was no way to prove or disprove. So nobody knows how many people he killed. Also, Sells had, like we know, had this very annoying habit of changing his story. For example, like he did in the Darnian family murder. But another example is 
So Sells claimed his first murder happened in July of 1979 when he was 15. Sells says that he broke into a home to rob it and woke 39-year-old John Cade awake, woke, woke him awake. <laughs> John Cade was asleep on the couch watching TV. Like he had fallen asleep watching TV and Sells broke in and it woke him up. So woke he woke, woke him, him awake. awake. Woke him straight awake. <laughs> <laughs> so he wakes up. Sells reacts to him waking did up. He say, did he say, what you doing, sleeping? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's literally what she says to me every time she calls me and I answer the phone. I'm like, hello, what you doing, sleeping? I'm like, it's two in the afternoon. I'm at work. <laughs> Do you need something? <laughs> I don't call you at two in no. the afternoon. I'm at work. <laughs> so his sales reaction to john cade awakening was (laughs) to shoot him with a 32 caliber pistol killing him and then he dipped like he didn't rob the house or anything he just shot him and left so his wife cade's wife and two young sons woke up to the sound of the gunshots and called the police so nothing was stolen and police originally thought that it was john's wife that had killed him But she was cleared and they had no clue where to go from there. So it just kind of went cold. John Cade had been the chairman on the church board and he didn't seem to have a single enemy in the world. So they were like, I don't know what this is about. Must have just been a burglary gone wrong, basically. Except nothing was robbed. Right. So Sells would later confess to this murder, but police had no evidence to link him to this murder because DNA testing wasn't a thing in 1979. And when he confessed to this, they already had him on other murders. So they pretty much just were like, whatever, and just dismissed it, which really sucks for the Cade family because they it didn't does. get like any closure if this is true, because he changed his story, remember, all the time. And I tried, I tried to find any kind of info on the death of John Cade in Port Gibson, Mississippi in 1979, because that's where this took place, supposedly. And all I could find was like a few vague mentions of it in like articles about cells. Like, I couldn't find any obituaries, any newspaper articles about his death, nothing. Really? Yeah. So, also, Sells had claimed that his first murder happened when he was 15, but he changed his story completely. So, this time, he says that he broke into a home to rob it and found a man sexually abusing a young boy, which brought up memories of his own sexual abuse as a young boy, enraging him and causing him to shoot the man, killing him. I mean, that sounds like the whole Dardine thing. Exactly. Too. Exactly. So who knows which, if either one of these stories. Like, is true. I'm telling you a lot of the things that I heard on a lot of like the ones that he confessed about, mm-hmm. he'd say one story and then the second story would always be something that triggered him and his sexual abuse. Right. So it makes you wonder, did he really actually get abused by this guy? Right. And if or he didn't, did he that's not. awful. I'm just saying like, is that just like a scapegoat? right exactly or a reasoning for him right i don't know i can't you can't trust anything this this guy says i know he's like the boy who cried wolf mm-hmm. sales claimed that he killed a man with an ice pick in 1980 in los angeles outside of a chinese restaurant this murder was never confirmed in July of 1983, a man matching the description of Sells was spotted in St. Louis, leaving the home of Thomas and Colleen Gill. Colleen and their four-year-old daughter Tiffany's bodies would later be found in the home. They were both bludgeoned to death. 1985, Sells was working at a carnival in Forsyth, I think. 
Forsyth, Missouri. There he met 35-year-old Ina Court and her four-year-old son, Rory. According to Sales, he and Ina had like really hit it off and she invited him to her home that evening. Sales claimed that the two had consensual sex and fallen asleep. And then he claimed that he later woke up to find Ina stealing from his backpack. So he grabbed her son's baseball bat and beat her to death. He says that he then beat four-year-old Rory to death with the bat because he didn't want to leave any witnesses. Which is what he said about the... Right. About the, with the mm-hmm. Dardines, about Peter. Mm-hmm. So their bludgeoned bodies were found three days later. Seven months after the murders of Ina and Rory, Sells was charged, tried, and convicted of driving under the influence of alcohol after crashing the stolen car that he was driving. He was released 18 months later. They're like, okay, don't do that again. (laughs) Sells kept drifting and taking odd jobs here and there. From 1987 to 1989, Sells has claimed to have killed at least a dozen people in at least seven different states from coast to coast. He said he would just hop on trains and travel wherever they took him. Hence the nickname, the Coast to Coast Killer, which he annoyingly gave to himself. <laughs> I was going to say, didn't he like name himself? He that? did. I hate it when serial killers do it. That's the word. That makes me want to you not mean, like, call you B- that ever. You mean like BTK? Yes. <laughs> freaking douche canoe. My God. I'm sorry. Every time I think of a, of a serial killer that like just wants the attention and wants... That's all I can think of. Absolutely. The first one that hits my mind. Yes. Is that stupid? Did you, did you know that BTK is trying to find love again? Sweet baby. I'm not kidding. I saw, I read like, like he put out a tender or like Like he's he's literally trying to have, find a pen pal, try to find some love. No. (laughs) no. Does he sign his pen pal notes BTK? Because I I really don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, you haven't received any from him. <laughs> no, um, he'd be the last person I would ever write. <laughs> You're like, I'm sorry, I'm taken. <laughs> and even if I wasn't, I definitely don't find the man attractive. <laughs> Fucking awesome, right? Something about killing and torturing women and children. And children. Just it just doesn't sit right with me. It does not. It does not sit right at all. Ugh. Okay. So he was arrested several times throughout the years for drug charges, DUI, public intoxication, thefts, but he was always held for a little while and then released or given a court date and then would just skip town and not show up. So he claimed to have shot a stranger in St. Louis and then left him for dead, but he said that was in self-defense. So that one's fine. (laughs) That one's fine. (laughs) Right. He was also arrested for theft in St. Louis, but the charge just ended up being dropped for some reason. He was hospitalized for two days for a heroin overdose, but that didn't slow him down. He went right back to train hopping and murdering. So he ended up in Fremont, California, where he claims to have killed 20-year-old Jennifer Dewey and 19-year-old Michelle Xavier. Jennifer was shot in the head and Michelle's throat was slit. On May 1st, 1987, 27-year-old Suzanne Quartz vanished from Niagara, New York, after getting into an argument with her boyfriend at like a restaurant. Her skeletal remains were found later on September 5th, 1995. They were found in a shallow grave in Lockport, New York. So police believe that Sells killed her, even though he's like, oh, I don't remember if I did that one or not. (laughs) Yeah. He says that he had, he had suffered from blackouts, you know, from all of his drug and alcohol abuse. And he 
he was he did happen to have a blackout during that time and he woke up from the back blackout on may 3rd so two days after she went missing he woke up on a freight train near the crime scene wearing bloodstained clothes so it is possible that he committed this one he said but he doesn't remember it he just can't recall how do you okay how do you have a blackout and not recall whether you killed someone right and how do you wake up on a fucking train and covered in blood and not be like what just happened like what he's just like oh that checks out like what the fuck in october of 1987 cells was working as a roofer in winnemucca nevada he ended up bouncing a check and was like no biggie it's fine i'll just steal my boss's pistol credit card and some cash and i'll dip so he used this stolen credit card to run a hotel room that he shared with 20 year old stephanie stroh who was a college student that he had picked up hitchhiking. Don't hitchhike. How many times do we have to tell you guys? So many times. I know it's 1987 and you can't hear me right now. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> even born. <laughs> I, was, I was a one-year-old baby. <laughs> so Sells told police that he drugged Stephanie with LSD. He then strangled her to death and encased her feet in concrete and then dropped her body in a desert hot spring. Police never confirmed this murder because Stephanie's body was never found. Like, they don't know what supposed hot spring, where to search, nothing. So, awful. November of 1987 was the Dardeen family murders Mm -hmm. that he confessed to in Illinois. Like we said, it's widely debated on whether or not he did this. Which, this is the year he gets caught, anyways. No. No, it's the next. Mm -mm. We We got a ways, girl. This is 1987. He gets, it's, 2000 when he gets caught oh that's right that's right that's right so september of 1988 11 year old melissa tremblay went missing 11 she was last seen talking to a man that resembled cells her body was found the next day on a train track she had been stabbed to death and her leg had been amputated post-mortem by a train. So for a long time, it was believed that Sells had killed Melissa. Like he confessed, confessed to that one when he was confessing to all these murders. Yeah. But police don't believe him on this one. In fact, police now believe they have the man that killed Melissa in custody like this year. Oh, really? Yes. So when I was looking into it, I saw an article from May of this year saying that police were holding 74-year-old corrections officer Marvin Skip McClendon without bond for the murder of Melissa. I didn't know that. Yeah. So according to this article, they had DNA evidence that led investigators to McClendon's family. So they obtained DNA samples from like several members, including Marvin. And Marvin was the only left-handed family member. And the stab wounds that killed Melissa were delivered by a left-handed person. Marvin was also in the area the day that Melissa went missing. And so I'm thinking it's pretty safe to say this is one of those cases where Sells was just like lying about it. And like he, and this Marvin guy just thought he was going to get away with it, huh? Yeah, he did. And he got away with it for a long ass time. Yeah, long. Long ass time. This was 1988 when this happened. So... Sells claimed to have several other victims over the years, including a mother and her three-year-old son. He claims he killed and dumped into Snake River. An unnamed female hitchhiker, a 51-year-old named Kent Lawton, after a drug deal had gone wrong with this 51-year-old, and an unnamed sex worker. 
for that one, an unidentified female's body was actually found at the location that Sells gave police as to where like he disposed of the sex worker's body. So they're like, oh, that might be true, but they don't know. They don't know. She, they were never able to identify that woman. So that's sad. In December of 1991, Sells broke into Mariana, Florida, home of 28-year-old Teresa Hall. He ransacked the house, completely smashing a table in the process. He then used one of the legs of that table to bludgeon Teresa and her five-year-old daughter, Tiffany, to death. You just don't understand why he killed so many kids. Right. He had no I mean, problem with killing anybody. It's not okay to kill anybody. Yeah. That's what that's right. It's okay to kill anybody, but like it, the kids. Which also makes me think about that newborn baby with Dardines. Uh-huh. Like who can fucking do that? And this guy has no problem killing anybody. He has no problem doing it. So. I guess that's true. Yeah. So on May 13th, 1992, 20-year-old fate I'm not going to say her name right, and I'm sorry. Her first name is Fab- Fabian, I think. Last name is Witherspoon, so we're going to call her that. So Witherspoon was walking home when she noticed Cells standing under an overpass holding a sign that said, I will work for food. She felt sorry for him and went over and asked him about himself, and he showed her a picture of three kids and told him that his wife and kids and him were all homeless and living under a bridge. Gurhi lion. <laughs> She told him that she had a bunch of extra food at home, and so they could just walk. Like it's not far; we'll just walk over. I'll give you some food, and you can take it to your. Never let strangers know where you live. Right. So they get to the house. She tells him wait outside because she was like, "Eh, "I don't want him to come in my house." So she tells him to wait outside by the front door, and she'd run in and grab the food and bring it to him. Well, when she headed back to the front door from the kitchen. She was alarmed to find that Sells was standing inside the front door. So like he had walked in. Obviously that made her nervous. And she was like, I just need to get this dude out of here as fast as I can. So she gave him the food and was like, are you good? Do you need anything else? Like just trying to be nice, I guess. And being the fucking creep bag that he is, he said, my wife needs underwear. Right? Yeah, nobody can see, but that's the face you should make. The face that you all made hearing that, that's the face she made. <laughs> so she was like okay but she's like it's fucking weird but she just wanted to get him out of her house so she went to her bedroom just to like grab whatever underwear she could find real quick in the meantime cells shut and locked the door grabbed a steak knife and just went into her bedroom he told her if she did what he told her to she wouldn't get hurt and he then repeatedly raped her at some point, he took her to the shower, like went to the bathroom, was going to take her to the shower to rape her again. And in the bathroom, she grabbed a ceramic duck the size of a football and just started beating him over the head with it, like beating the shit. By the time she was done swinging, all that was left of this duck was the beak in her hand that she was holding. Oh my God. Like she beat the shit out of him. Those yes. was dazed, but somehow he was still standing. How? <laughs> exactly. So... He's all dazed, but still standing. So she grabs the steak knife from him and just starts stabbing him over and over. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. She, yeah. She frantically, she stabs him a little bit and then she frantically tries to run for the door. But somehow after this beating and stabbing, Sells catches her before she gets to the door, ties her hands to her feet with tape. How? Okay. Like what the fuck? So she begged him and told him that if he would just leave, she wouldn't tell anybody and she's like, I just found out that I'm pregnant. My husband's going to be home anytime. So 
She said that Sells then made a, quote, wimpy attempt at smothering her with a quilt and then gave up on that and smacked her in the head with, like, a piano stool. Oh, my! Right. And then she lost consciousness. And he left. Yeah. He left, and he left her alive. He left to go to the hospital because he'd been beaten the head with a fucking big-ass ceramic duck and stabbed 18 times. She stabbed him 18 times. And he still lived. Yes. He spent seven days in the hospital and then from the hospital, he went straight to county jail because hello, this, she obviously reported what happened. (laughs) Um, and a jury indicted him on five counts of rape and felony assault, but three days into the trial cells pled guilty to a lesser charge of malicious wounding. This is because the prosecution told her that we're just going to have to agree to this because your story of him raping you is kind of inconsistent. And now he's trying to turn around and say that you attacked him. So we should just let him take this plea deal because if it goes to trial, you could lose. Oh my God. Right. I'm sorry. Like, what the fuck? The woman who had repeatedly been raped by this guy that we all now now know is a murdering shite. Like her story is inconsistent. I'm sorry. I hope, I'm sorry, but I hope that uh, that prosecutor felt like shit when he was. Okay. Like, you don't think the trauma of what just happened to her might make her get her story events, like sequence of events, a little confused. And she's having to relive this attack out loud to strangers over and over. Like, come on, that's Mm. bullshit. The prosecutor at the time was Bill Forbes. And he said at the time, we believe her and her story, but serious questions arose sufficient to warrant a plea. So whatever. So they had him. They literally had him, but they let him plead to a lesser charge. So he was sentenced to two to 10 years on June 25th, 1993. And by May of 1997, he was released. So cool, cool, cool. In October of 1997, Sells made his way to Lawrenceville, Illinois. And on October 13th, Sells was walking out of a convenience store when he and Julie Ray Harper bumped into each other. Harper was with her 10-year-old son, Joel Kirkpatrick, and according to Sells, they bumped into each other. He said, excuse me, and she said, excuse the hell out of you. <laughs> like, Sorry, I, don't, but... I, don't, I don't know if that happened, but I mean, maybe she was having a bad day, or maybe you're just a fucking liar, Sells, because we know you're a liar. Excuse the hell out of you. <laughs> so he says that's what she said. He says that really pissed him off. He's like, I wasn't in the mood for that kind of attitude that day. So he waited for Julie and Joel to leave the store and followed them home. Once he saw where they lived, he left and ran some errands, you know, got something to eat, probably got a little high slash drunk, you know, and waited for it to get later so he could go back and murder Julie, you know, because she was rude to him. That's how that works. Right. So he went back to the house, broke in went into a bedroom and saw someone sleeping on the bed and just started stabbing. He later said in a confession that he accidentally stabbed the wrong person because he was planning on killing Julie, but ended up killing 10-year-old Joel. Yeah. What? Yeah. How do you mistake a 10-year-old for an adult? It was just a dark room. He saw somebody sleeping in the bed and just started stabbing. Oh, my God. So Julie hears a commotion like wakes up, goes into Joel's room and she and Sells get into like a scuffle. Sells ends up running off, leaving Julie alive. And Julie tells the police exactly what happened. 
She tells them a man broke into their house and stabbed her son to death while he was like asleep in his bed and then got into a struggle with her and left. So police didn't believe her story, even though there were clear signs of a struggle, just like the one she described, like in the house. They thought she did it. Julie ended up being arrested and charged with the murder of her son. What? Yes. Yes. So their reason for this was that there was like a pretty bitter custody battle going on between Julie and her ex-husband over Joel. So she would kill her own child over that? Right. So they said her motive was to kill Joel so that her ex-husband couldn't have him. Yeah, because that makes sense. Right, right. If she didn't want him, she would have just let her ex-husband have him. Exactly. So... The prosecution presented a largely circumstantial case focusing on Julie's ex-husband's testimony that she had wanted to abort Joel before he was born. So she never wanted it right. And they focused on the custody battle and the fact that Julie had Joel's blood on her clothes that night. Well, yeah, it was her child. Right. Because if you went into your child's room and see somebody stabbing your kid and then struggle with that person, and then go back to check on your kid, you're not going to get any blood on your clothes? Oh my god, I hate people. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. So based on all of this, Julie was convicted of the murder of her son and sentenced to 65 years in prison. And she ended up spending seven years in prison for the murder of her son. Sells later conve- confessed to this crime. It was proven that he was in the area at the time, and his confession like completely matched with her story from years before. Mm. So two days after killing Joel, Sells had made his way to Springfield, Missouri. So did she, sorry, I have to go back to this, but did she, when she got out, I hope she like got compensation for that. So also like, I hope she had a public apology and they gave her a certificate of um, innocence. That's all they gave her? As far as I know. Um, when cells confessed to this, I would sue them when cells confessed to this murder, they literally like her case was like going to go to retrial, not because of that, because of something that was fucked up with like paperwork or something like that. They're like, Oh, y'all, y'all messed this up. Y'all didn't go according to this. So it was going to retrial then. And cells had confessed to it. And like, literally in the trial said, I did this. And the prosecution was still like, no, no, it was Julie. Yeah. Right. I hate people. (laughs) So much. So, so much. I hate people. (laughs) People are the worst. Like, I don't, uh, whatever. I don't know how prosecutors like that sleep at night. Like, they had to know. I just don't, I I don't know. Coming from somebody that's, I mean, going to school for law. Not law school, but. (laughs) Not law school, law enforcement side. but, But I'm just like, who goes to school and says, I want to be a lawyer, but not, not a good lawyer. <laughs> right, right. I'm going to be one of those. I heard those like sleazy scheming liars get more money. So <laughs> I'm going to do that. So awful. Go on. Continue. <laughs> so two days after killing Joel, Sells had made his way to Springfield, Missouri, where he abducted, raped, and strangled 13-year-old Stephanie Mahaney. Her body was found two days later in a nearby farmer's pond by some hunters. On March 30th, 1999, he invaded the home of 28-year-old Debbie Harris. He raped and stabbed her to death and then stabbed her eight-year-old daughter, Ambria, to death, leaving the knife in her chest when he left. 
On April 18th that year in San Antonio, Texas, Sells abducted and raped and strangled nine-year-old Mary Perez to death with her own t-shirt. Her body was found 10 days later. A month later, on May 13th, he repeated this exact same crime, basically, on 13-year-old Haley McCone in Lexington, Kentucky. He abducted Haley, raped her, and strangled her with her own t-shirt. Then he left her body in a park covered in debris, stole her bicycle, and sold it to a stranger for $20. What? Yeah. So there were so, so, so many more murders that he claimed to have committed. Like I said, he claimed to have murdered over 70 people. Many were confirmed. Many were never able to be confirmed. But now I'm going to get into the murder that finally got his ass caught. The one that you touched on a little bit in the Darden case when you were talking about him. Yes. So New Year's Eve, 1999, Y2K, you know, big year. Sells broke into the home of Terry and Crystal Harris in Del Rio, Texas. Terry and Crystal lived with their son and two daughters. They attended church at Grace Community Church where they had met Tommy Sells. Oh, they actually met him there? Yes, they knew him. Hmm. So Sells had actually visited the Harris home several times because he explains what how he knew how to break in exactly he had gone over to ask terry for like counseling about his marital difficulties to who his hand so no right <laughs> so he actually, no right no but he actually was married i didn't care to get into all that like it, he got married like later after a bunch of these crimes but i was not interested in that so i didn't care um <laughs> But he was like, oh, I'm having, I'm having marital issues. I need some counseling. So he'd gone over there a bunch of times. So he knew the layout of the house. Terry had also bought a used truck from Sells, who at the time was working as a used car salesman. Now, according to one of Sells' versions of the story, Terry Harris owed him like $5,000 in drug debt. So he was going to go to the Harris home to collect that money that night. That's why he was going over there. This probably isn't true because... Sells actually knew that Terry wasn't even going to be home that night. So he, Terry was helping Pam Searles move to Del Rio. Pam had been friends with the Harrises when they all lived in Kansas before the Harrises moved to Del Rio in 1995. Right. So they had kept in touch over the years. Pam had recently decided that she was going to move her family there also. So she, her two daughters and her boyfriend, Doug Luker, had all come to visit the Harrises for Christmas And then the plan was that Pam and Doug would go back to Kansas to collect all their belongings and they'd leave the girls there to stay with the Harrises while they did that. Terry ended up going with them so that he could help Doug like load all the heavy stuff, you know? Right. So as they were leaving town, they stopped to fill Terry's truck up with gas and they ran into sales at the gas station. So he knew that Terry was leaving town and that Crystal was home by herself with all these kids. Funny how he runs into them at the gas station. Mm-hmm. At the gas he, station. He That's like, what he said that he met Keith Dardine in a gas station. Dar- That's where I was going to say, I think it's a little weird with the Dardine fanny- family that he said that he did that because, I mean, he's just kind of like mixing his murder that he actually did to. Right. He just, all the stories run together at this yeah. point. Go on. He's just told so many lies that he doesn't even know which lie goes with which story. Right. So they actually did run into him at the gas station because Doug, Pam's boyfriend, like later on said they had seen this man and Terry had talked to him like he knew him, which he did know him. So 
Later that night, Sells was seen at a local bar where he proceeded to harass a bartender, repeatedly asking her to have sex with him until he was finally shooed away by like a male customer around like 2 a.m. <laughs> right? Right? Fucking, mm-mm. So that was around 2 a.m. when he was finally like kicked out of the bar. Sometime after that, he went to the Harris home and entered through an open window. That window led to the bedroom of Crystal and Terry's 14-year-old son, Justin. So Justin had been born blind. And when he heard the noise of cells coming in through the window, he thought it was his sister sneaking around trying to like prank him or something like that. Right. So he called out. He's like, will y'all stop coming in my room? Cells then left Justin's room and peered into the next room where Pam's seven-year-old daughter, I'm probably going to say it wrong, Mark Marquet. I think it's Marquet. It's M-A-R-Q-U-E. Okay, yeah. So Pam's seven-year-old daughter, Marquet, was sleeping in the next room. He then just left that room, moved on to the master bedroom, where he found Crystal Harris asleep with her 12-year-old daughter, Lori. After standing in the doorway and contemplating for like a, a minute, Sells then made his way to the last bedroom. There he found a bunk bed. In the bunk bed, 13-year-old Kayleen Katie Harris was fast asleep on the bottom bunk, and 10-year-old Crystal Searles was asleep on the top bunk. This is so awful. It's so awful. Now, I saw a lot of contradicting stories about whether or not Sells saw Crystal in the top bunk. Some of the stories I saw said that he saw her right away, and some said that he didn't notice her until he was about to leave the room. So, this part's going to get rough, y'all. Sells made his way over to the bunk bed and he laid down on the bottom bunk next to Katie. He nudged her awake and half asleep. Katie kind of wakes up and she's like, what are you doing here? Because she recognized him because right. he knew the entire Harris family. So Sells then covered her mouth to be quiet, to like quiet her and pulled out a 12 inch boning knife that he had brought with him. He used the knife to cut off all of Katie's clothes and began to fondle her. So Katie was able to wriggle free and screamed to Crystal. She's, she's like, run and get mama. She went to make a run for the door, but Sells blocked the doorway and flipped on the bedroom light. And in his dash to the doorway to try to beat her there, he like swiped Katie on the arm with the knife. And she yelled out, you cut me. And she's like holding her arm up. It's bleeding. He then quickly moved behind her, covered her mouth with his hand, and sliced her throat. Not once, but twice. Mm. He then stabbed her 16 times. Now, remember, 10-year-old Crystal is on the top bunk this, this entire time. Like, she's seen everything. She, the entire time, she's, like, remained completely still and quiet, which I cannot imagine doing as a 10-year-old child. I know. Like, I would have either been just, like... Screamed or freaked out or... Right. I would have been, like, nonstop screaming or, like, trying to run out of the room or something. Like, I, I don't know. But when he was sure that Katie was dead, he turned towards the door like he was leaving and then stopped. So, like I said, this part's unclear because it's, it's just unclear. But both scenarios are terrifying either way. So, one version is that he didn't know Crystal was there which does make sense because he knew the Harris family, but not the Searles family. So this version says that he went to leave the room and then turned back to take one more look at the room before leaving and then noticed Crystal in the top bunk at that point. 
the other version says that he saw Crystal when he first came in, but she was asleep and he was so focused on Katie that he forgot she was there. And then when he went to leave, he like suddenly remembered, oh shit, there's another one in here. So either way, it's horrific and terrifying. Like I cannot imagine how she could have felt during this time. She just watched her friend get brutally murdered and then thought he was leaving only to have him turn around and like make direct eye contact with her. So he sees her, they make eye contact. He begins making his way back across the room towards her. Crystal then pleaded, please, I'll be quiet. I promise I won't say anything. But Zells had already made up his mind. He walked right up to her, put his hand over her mouth, and deeply slit her throat. Crystal immediately fell flat, like didn't move a muscle. So Zells was like, okay, she's dead. Turns around, turns off the light, wipes his fingerprints off the doorknob, and then left her room. Crystal would later say that she knew in that moment that she had to pretend to be dead or else Cells would kill her for sure. Oh my God. And can you imagine being 10 years old thinking like that? No. Like. What 10 year old would have, would think to play dead? A badass bitch little 10 year old too. Um, but yes, no, I cannot imagine like your throat would like her windpipe was severed. Yes. Like, her throat so deep. And she just pretended like, that's insane to me she's that's insane right so she laid still for a few minutes which must have felt like hours to her probably after what had just happened until she heard what sounded like a car cranking up and driving away she then got out of bed stopped beside katie to check on her to see if there was any way that she could have survived but she instantly knew that was not the case and went straight outside to head to a neighbor's house because she was certain that cells must have gotten to everyone else in the house before them. Oh my God. Right? That's like fucking heartbreaking because like everybody else was just asleep in the house. I know. Like she could have just been a room over. Yeah. Yeah. But she was like, there's no way he came through the house and didn't see everybody else. We're the last room. She's like not able to breathe. Right. Like her windpipe is severed. She goes outside, heads to a neighbor's house walked a quarter of a mile to a neighbor's house and rang the doorbell. So she had a moment of panic when nobody came to the door at first. And so she rang the doorbell again and again. And then finally, Herb Burtz groggily came to the door because it's like wee hours in the morning. Flips on the porch light to see like who the hell is at my door at this hour and was mortified to see a little girl like wide-eyed covered in blood. He opened the door, like rushed her inside, called 911. Crystal motioned for paper and pencil because she couldn't talk. So she's like, paper, pencil. He gives her some. She wrote down three sentences. She wrote, the Harrises are hurt because, you know, she thought everybody had been attacked. Tell them to hurry and will I live? Oh, my God. Right? Tear my fucking heart out. Like, oh, my God. She laid down on the kitchen floor and waited for help. And she later said that she went to the kitchen because she was worried about getting blood on his carpet. Okay. (laughs) So Beth stayed with her and he like, he kissed her on the forehead and he assured her repeatedly that she would be all right. But he later said in an interview that he didn't believe that she would. And he was like certain that she was about to die on his kitchen floor. Oh my God. So responders arrive. When they first got there, they like tried to intubate her to make sure you know she could breathe it's severed and they can't at this point exactly so 
she was actually she was actually getting air through her open windpipe that was how she was breathing for so long oh really yeah yeah so when they tried to intubate her it was like no that's not gonna work that's actually gonna fuck it up more so they stopped that <laughs> thank god <laughs> they're like don't do that so she was rushed to a hospital in del rio and then airlifted to like a bigger hospital in san they antonio right so she went there for emergency surgery to try to repair her windpipe Betts also, when responders got there, he had also sent them over to the Harris house because he was like, check on the rest of the family. She says they're hurt. God, can you imagine being the mother? No, waking up to your kid just brutally murdered while you were sleeping. Mm -mm. No. Responders go over there. Everyone in the home was still asleep. They come banging on the door. Once the home was checked and Katie's body was discovered, Police asked Crystal Harris where her husband was since he was nowhere to be found. And they thought it was him. Right. They're like, that's a super suspicious. Like, where's your husband? So she immediately told them, no, he's, he's here. Here's his number. Like he's going to help these people move, whatever. So they call him to verify the story and to let him and Pam know what had happened to their kids and that mm-hmm. they should come back. Oh my God. Right. So they immediately turned around, rushed to the hospital. When Crystal woke up from surgery, she immediately asked for something to write with. Everybody was like, okay, sure. Like you just had so this major surgery. Him. I she do was, remember this portion. Yes. So she was asking to speak to investigators to give them a description of the man that attacked her and killed her friend. And they're like, you should just rest for a little while. Like you just no. had this major surgery. Yeah. Go. And she was like, no, like she insisted on getting them there now. She then worked with a police sketch artist and gave a detailed description leading to a drawing that looked pretty identical to cells like i'll post it on instagram it's 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 pretty good for a little 10 year old that just had her throat slit writing it down to a sketch artist police quickly got together six photos of like known criminals in the area area that looked similar to the sketch and asked crystal if any of the men in these photos looked like her attacker she immediately pointed to the picture of cells and they were like are you sure like you can take your time really look at each picture and she like just repeatedly started banging her finger down on that picture of him. She was like, no, this was him. Like, we don't have to look at the rest of the pictures. He was arrested two days later on January 2nd, 2000 at his trailer. When police knocked on the door and informed him that he was under arrest, he looked completely unsurprised and asked what he was being arrested for. The arresting officer said murder and Sells was just kind of like, okay, fair. Like he just like went on with no struggle. Right. So on the ride to the police station, Sell said, well, I guess we have a lot to talk about. At the police department, he confessed to killing Katie and that he had thought he'd killed Crystal too. He then went to the Harris home with the police and let them video him as he reenacted everything from that night. Oh my, what a fucking asshat. Mm-hmm. Like he literally like climbed through that same window. Like it's on video. The entire... Thing lined up perfectly with Crystal's account of what had happened. Like his reenactment and hers like matched straight up. Over the next few months, he confessed to a string of murders across the country, giving himself the nickname Coast to Coast Killer. Yeah, fuck you and your stupid nickname. <laughs> Fucking nozzle. He told them all about how he traveled around by hopping trains or stealing vehicles. He told them that he had made money by working odd jobs, panhandling or stealing. And he told his lawyer that he was glad that he was finally caught because he wanted this all to be over and his lawyer immediately advised him to like be quiet he was like no stop 
He's like, no, you're making my job really hard. (laughs) You just made me lose this case. (laughs) At the the trial, Sells pled guilty to the murder of Katie and the attack on Crystal. And on September 18th, 2000, Sells was convicted of the capital murder of Katie Harris and the attempted murder of Crystal Searles. He was sentenced to death. In September 2003, he was indicted for the murder of Stephanie Mahaney. But he was never tried because they're like, he's already on death row. Like, that's right. What point. else are you going to do? We're already right. killing him. Right. Later that same year, he pled guilty to the murder of nine year old Mary Perez in San Antonio. And they were like, you know what? We're just going to tack an additional life sentence onto your death penalty. So there. On April 3rd, 2014, Sells was executed by lethal injection. Crystal Sorrels, the badass crystal. Mm-hmm. Terry and Crystal Harris and Mary Perez's grandmother were some of the people that were there present for his execution. Good for them. And I've wa- I watched some videos of like interviews with Crystal now, like as an adult, like she talks, like her windpipe, like it was completely repaired. And it's just so like, it's still just to watch her, like you can see it in her eyes, her like reliving it as she's talking about it, but it's awful, but she's like fucking badass. Like she's my hero. So Mary Perez's grandmother later said, about the execution that it was way too fast and humane of a death for him like that was unsatisfying she said right so when, when i go back to the darting family murder after all of this info my main reason for thinking okay he could have because he was like all over the place no consistent mo no particular victim type he killed everyone like we said men women kids no problem killing kids he would break into random houses and kill people just like what happened with the Dardian family and would just kill when he saw the opportunity to kill like yeah and I do the only the only thing that I have like a question about is how come his story changes because he's a fucking liar he doesn't also like I don't believe that the dart like the the father Mm -hmm. offered him sex no or anything remotely like that um now do I think that he could have absolutely possibly done it because he showed no remorse in killing a newborn either yeah I do yeah believe that but at the same time he's so inconsistent and wants the fame and wants to be known Mm -hmm. as this this serial killer because that's all he cares about at this point anything that's local or anything that that happened when he's in the areas and stuff could have been him or somebody else I mean you just don't know you don't know I also saw another article another article that said another one of his confessions about the Darting family was that he met Keith at a gas station like like you said but that Keith had felt sorry for him because he was holding up a sign saying like he was homeless and whatever so that he brought him home for like a meal to have a, a nice home-cooked meal right like whatever you change your story all the time and that's my thing is like I he just also think, said that it was for drugs like I just think his stories are bullshit now yeah. he could absolutely have done it but I just don't know why he has to like animate the stories as right. He does. right and another thing when he confessed to the Dardine family murders he said that he raped Elaine and yeah and there was no sexual assault done. well at, at this point I don't know if that happened or not because when I was reading every source said something different some said he did not like she was not sexually assaulted at all some said that she was before she but was I murdered. Actually, some said that she was post-mortem with the baseball bat that he killed them with. But I looked up the, like the report. 
did you? Because I tried to find the freaking autopsy anywhere and I could not. And it was I didn't find the crazy. autopsy report, but I I looked up like look up the police report for it. Yeah. And, and it, okay, because I was getting mad because I was like, okay, I just need to find this autopsy report and then I'll know for sure. Yeah. No, I searched for the autopsy report. Yeah. Too, but it was frustrating. Um, some some aren't easy to find. And no, they're not. Some are really easy and some are not easy at all. But why would Keith just bring a stranger home? You know, like, like you said, he wouldn't just open the door for anybody. I just, yeah, I just don't feel like, I don't, I don't know. I, it's hard to tell. Who I, knows? Think he, I think he could have absolutely done it. Had right. actually done and killed the, the Darting family because he, he did state that he um, took the dude to a field. He didn't state where he didn't state anything. Right. And I just, I don't know, portions of his stories just don't make sense. And I think it's because he animates it so much and tries to make it out to be something so much more um, like the whole him offering him a threesome and it triggered him. Right. Not everything triggers you with your so-called sexual abuse that I don't believe even happened. Sorry, but yeah, it's just just one of those. I don't know. He's just such a fucking lying fuck face that you, you don't know. Like don't you already confessed to all these murders. So why lie about it? Right. Like why, why? And I do believe if anybody could be fucking awful enough to kill a, it was him freshly born baby. It, it would be him. him. Yeah. But I don't believe any of it. Like his stories are stupid. Like why? Right. So yeah, that's that on that. That is the terrible, terrible Tommy Lynn sales. So Way to steal my case. Sorry about it. Didn't mean to, my bad. <laughs> now, I, now I need case suggestions. Okay. Okay. You hear that, people? <laughs> case suggestions. So you want you just slide into our DMs? Is that how you do that? Ew. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> or you could just email us at serialholicsisters yeah. at gmail.com. Sounds a little better. <laughs> or you could go to our website, serialholicsisters.com, where you can submit case requests see our instagram see our facey space all that good junk all of it all of it and all right let's, let's get awkward. out of here oh let's be awkward oh <laughs> I don't, okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs>